You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Bracha. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim. I'm Avram Kivalevich. And Dr. Juni, we know that uh, uh, many people who go to Yerushalayim, go to Eretz Yisrael, uh, experience a spiritual high. Uh, many come back from Yerushalayim and from their year in Eretz Yisrael, many students that I've had, and they're referred to as kids that have flipped out. They are high on Sinai. Uh, and there's actually, uh, I think it's pretty much, uh, I don't know if it's a, di- if it's in the, a diagnosable disease or not, but it's definitely been uh, shown that many people go there, uh, experience something called the Jerusalem Syndrome, where they start not only believing in, in, in spiritual powers, but they believe that they themselves are conduit to spiritual powers. They get a, a Messiah complex. And uh, this is something which, even though we live in the United States, I'm talking from the United States, which has a history of evangelical Christians and uh, a sense of talking in tongues and, and, and intense spirituality, I think that little piece of land that you are addressing us from, Eretz Yisrael, I think breeds that a little bit more. The idea of, of, of religiosity as something viable and alive and something that you actually feel and, and taste. And just taking it one step further than that for a second, um, people who really buy into it, who buy completely into that, uh, and buy into our tradition, which of course is a re- biblical tradition, which has a belief in, in higher powers, uh, transcendence, miracles, uh, and, and, and believing that those things are actually happening now, whether they're connected to a guru or some, either themselves or some other teacher who can actually be poil, as we say, maifsim. I know that there is a sense, doctor, that these people are suffering. These people are, in a way, off the grid. They are, in the fact, uh, they, they they are assault they are being assaulted by these these the weird demons of their mind and we have to look at them as persons that are ill because look where they're going look how quick the trajectory is taking them and in general i think we in the yeshiva world and i'll say i'm from the yeshiva shavelt have a sense that psychiatrists and psychologists like yourself view any involvement in this as something primitive ridiculous and psychotic. Um, now, I've given you a lot to play with here, uh, Dr. Juni. What, do you share that type of approach? And start with Jerusalem syndrome and take it into the general sense of getting high on Sinai, so to speak. And generally, the idea of, 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 of the religion, we're not talking about Haredim, we're talking about people that believe in the actuality and, and, and the viability and the reality of of, of the religious, spiritual, outer body sort of experience. Okay, hi. Okay, glad to be back again. This was a huge question of many questions, and I will deal with some specifically and then see if we have anything left over that we want to get into. So, um, 
Okay, so the Jerusalem syndrome itself is not a psychiatric diagnosis. Paranoia is, and often people with the Jerusalem syndrome are paranoid, and uh, we define paranoia, at least in this particular case, as having delusions in terms of your own abilities, your own powers, and in this particular case, it's some uh, grandiosity, feeling that you have particular powers or abilities beyond there. So I just want to split up over here two things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about religious beliefs, beliefs in the supernatural, beliefs that there is a an entire hidden world going on around us besides the physical world, uh, which often is indicative of psychosis in the general population. And then we'll talk about personal developments, where people assume that they themselves have a unique role or a, um, a, a driving role in this supernatural world which is around them. Okay, so let's talk about the general idea of belief in the supernatural, belief in uh, stuff that's happening around you. And just to keep things a little bit uh, more at a distance from us, let's talk about various kinds of cultures in Africa. Um, but if you want to talk about um, Christianity or its tributaries, we can talk about things like Mormonism. So let's just look at that for a minute. So I'm, I'm going to back up and give you some interesting um uh, clinical examples, okay? So the first clinical example is Avram Avinu, okay? So Avram Avinu um, meets God, and God tells him, I'm the one who manages this world, I'm in charge, everything you think is going on here being managed by little minions is incorrect, and I'm in charge. And then shortly after, uh, shortly after that, there's a message from God, go take your son and sacrifice him to me, okay? So what I have to say is that if that happened to me, Okay, if I'm walking around, you know, in the Times Square, and God meets me and tells me to go take my son and sacrifice him, I would probably just take a cab to Bellevue and say, I'm experiencing a psychotic break. I need some medication. Okay, Avram Avinu did not do that. And I don't think he should have done that. And I don't think, by the way, he was nuts. Okay, what, what's going on is the following. Um, we have all kinds of ideas and fantasies and fleeting thoughts throughout the process of the day, okay? They come up, we consider them for a moment, and we censor them. Sometimes we consider it for half a minute. So, for instance, um, you are waiting at an elevator bank, and you just know which elevator is the one that's going to open up. And most of the time you're wrong, sometimes you're right, but you don't make a big to-do of it to say, aha, I just had a message, eh. You have certain inklings. They work out, they don't work out. Fine, you don't get excited. Um, I have been dabbling in the great synagogue for a while because I love Chazanut. And I have seen people who are conducting the choir, who are sitting in the pews right next to me. And it looks like they're really excited as if they're, oh, no, no, no. This one has to raise his voice up and down. And they are imagining they're in charge, okay? They're not nuts. They're not nuts because if you really ask them, they'll say, eh, it passed by. I'm going to censor this. I know it's ridiculous, but it's fun. It makes sense to think of it. It makes it's comfortable to fantasize about it. So basically, um, when we have ideas that come up throughout the day that don't make so much sense, it's not so much the fact that I have this idea that makes me mentally unbalanced. I would be mentally unbalanced if I ran with it and took it for face value and say, aha, that's really what's going on. Um, what makes things out of the realm in terms of being uh, susceptible to be labeled as aberrant and what makes it not? It's the social environment. So, for instance, 
If you live in an environment where people in general believe in the supernatural, there is nothing psychotic about believing in the supernatural. If you live in an environment where nobody ever hears about the supernatural and then you invent something, you're usually in a lot of trouble. Unless you have a real revelation from a higher power. So we don't want to talk about that. But most people who do not have revelations from a higher power who start believing that the world is around them is managed by forces, which is not part of their social vernacular, usually have a problem of filtering out bizarre thoughts which naturally come out which they have to be able to filter out. And that's, a, that's called an ego function, the ability to have executive functioning, to start easing out things that are either socially appropriate, inappropriate or things that are nuts or things that don't, make, that don't make sense. So to get back to the example, people in general these days don't believe that you'll have a deity coming around having personal demands on you which makes you different than everybody else. I'm not talking about principles. I'm not talking about moral principles. I'm talking about God showing up to you and giving you directions where to park or what to buy or who to talk to or what to wear that day. That's not part of the vernacular. That's not part of the social setting that we live in. So somebody who has that kind of idea means that he is unable to filter out stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. In Avram Avinu's times, my assumption is that people did believe that they had personal experiences with all kinds of deities that told them to do things. Okay, Avram had a special one, and Avram, as far as I believe, actually had a revelation. But for him to start doubting it and to say that the fact that he didn't doubt it means that he had problems with reality testing is just not correct. Okay, so, so we said that. But let me just interrupt you here for a second here, and I know I went on a lot, sure. and then <laughs> and now you're giving me your lecture in this area. And I just want to like combine my first statement and your first statement just for a second. Let's start with what you just said here about Abraham Avinu. Now, you know that many of our listeners and people who, and we have, we have hundreds of them, but I know that there's going to be a certain percentage of them that are going to say, what, what did Dr. Juni just say? That what Abraham Avinu did in terms of the Akeda was considered not so abnormal. We know, of course, from the Torah that when the Torah talks about giving your zero and the Mfarshapshat talk about the fact that it does seem to mean that the children were sacrificed, that it was known. But many, many uh, things we have heard is that this ran counter, uh, in many ways, of course, uh, to what Avram was preaching. This was against what Avram was talking about. Avram was the counter person. He was the one that was trying to change the attitude. So, you know, in that sense, uh, you're right. Uh, they would have probably seen, oh, Avram has joined, he's joined us finally. He finally understands what it's about. Of course, Avram himself uh, would, would be experiencing incredible, uh, which is, of course, what the arcade is about, incredible dissonance, incredible sense of uh, something is, 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 is deeply wrong here, right? Avram himself had spent years mm-hmm. trying to wean himself from what had been the standard attitude, and, and he had sort of become an island among him, uh, unto himself, and now that was cracking, right? This the fact that it was, so you're you're not trying to discount the struggle within Avram Avinu. What you're trying to say is that even if he even if he the, he had done the unthinkable and had slaughtered Yitzchak, it would not have been considered anything like front page news because of the no, way people... no, no, I think it would be front page news because that was not what he believed in but I'm saying he did not doubt his sanity when he encountered 
God because many people believed that they were encountering God. He had much dissonance because his message that he was getting from Hashem did not match at all his belief and did not match his understanding of morality and the value of human beings. And I understand that, but I'm saying that aspect was problematical to him, but not to the point that he was doubting his sanity. So he was doubting perhaps his, do I have the right tenets? Do I understand God correctly? I have no idea what he's saying. Or according to the standard way of understanding is he was saying, I have no idea what's going on here. This doesn't make sense, but this is what Hashem is telling me and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to question it. Okay. But he d- definitely did not think, wow, I have to go to the local hospital cave and, and start getting medication because I'm having these Meshuggan ideas that I'm in touch with a deal. That, that's the only aspect. Okay. Well, that, yeah, well, well, again, that, that of course uh, makes sense if to my ears. What I wanted to ask you is, is that the other thing that you just said, which was that um, it really depends on the social milieu that you are part of. Now, when, when I was telling you about uh, the travelers from America who and, and the students who go there, boy and girl, men and women, who experience uh, what we would call, for many people, considered transformation, and now their attitudes aren't what they were back in, in the States or in the Western world, wherever, whatever neighborhood spawned them. They now actually believe in the sanctity of the Rebbes. They believe that Rebbes, just like the, if they become part of a Hasidic group, they now believe the Rebbes do have the ability to sort of channel God. And I think many of them, Dr. J, are also if they don't think God is talking to them, but they are seeing Hashgacha Pratis happening, you're saying they don't think God is telling them which elevator uh, is going to come down, but they are looking for signs for God much stronger than they used to in terms of who their Harusa should be, what their Shidduch should be. Do Would you see that as something that uh, is an indicator that there's something wrong with them? Because the people that they are becoming part of, the groups that they're becoming connected to, are preaching this, right? And I was, I know this because your Rebbe will tell you, right? Your Rebbe will tell you about this is Hashkocha, this is God, Simon, um, right? So based on what you're saying, isn't it possible that they are experiencing some sort of dissonance and maybe what you say, pharmacology is, is what should be called? Okay. For? Okay. Let me, let me try to just set something out over here. Um, there is no question that among people with psychiatric disturbances, you will find a higher proportion of getting hooked on various kinds of religious extremist philosophy, cults, etc. But it doesn't work the other way around. In other words, people who are involved with religious philosophies that are considered very well in the minority in terms of today's census in the world, they are not more disturbed psychologically than people who are atheistic or have very mild religious convictions. That's not the case. Okay, so it is true. In other words, it's like the, you know, all elephants are not pink or all pink are elephants. I don't remember the syllogism there. But the point is, yes, if you are psychiatrically disturbed, you will probably have a tendency to get involved with um, uh understandings of the world that move beyond the physical and apply to other kinds of forces that are around you that may or may not be there. But people who believe in religious mysticism, people who believe in all kinds of codes of conduct that are not based on physical realities are not psychiatrically disturbed. Now, in terms of what you're saying, these people are changing from what they are. 
we live in an interconnected world. So in other words, somebody who's growing up as agnostic or atheist or very mildly religious does see options of religiosity existing out there, does see options of religious transcendence out there. So to pick that up is not a function of a violation of reality testing. It's just basically a function of moving out of your narrow circle and experimenting with or starting to believe in systems that you were not raised in, but it is not a break in reality testing. So that's a very, uh, that's a very encouraging statement because I think it does run counter because I think many of these parents of these children that, that I know uh, call me up and say they brainwashed my kid, they're, they've, 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 they've left normal reality behind. Um, and, and you're actually telling us here that this is actually proper. That don't, don't think your kids are, are, are somehow crank uh, and cup, that there's something wrong with them. They, right? Even though now they don't necessarily share the same exact values that you have, there's nothing necessarily mentally uh, wrong with them. The fact that they now believe in a system that, that a Rebbe can be poil moivsim okay. and that a tzaddik can be goizer, a Kaddish Baruch can be makayim, because they sort of were aware of it in some way the whole time. It wasn't like, it wasn't like they were adopting something uh, that's psychotic, correct? Okay, I'm almost correct, but I need to qualify that. So I, I'm also a parent, right? And we've all had trials and tribulations with our kids. So I want to qualify what you're saying. Parents are concerned for their kids. I want to take that away, okay? And when a parent sees a kid joining a something that they can consider to be a religious extremism, they are concerned that something wrong is going on. I, I don't think that they're using it as a weapon, as a way of saying, I don't want them religious, so I'll call them nuts. That's not what's going on. But... For a parent who has had experience with one kid, well, let's say she has first been into extreme sports, and then she gets into ideas that everybody in class is after her, and then suddenly she gets involved with drugs, and then perhaps something else happens, and then she gets um, this uh, idea to join some kind of fringe religious group. Their inductive reasoning has merit. In other words, if this is coming in the, in, the, in the end of a chain of various activities which really involved very loose allegiance to reality, they have a right to think, wow, this may just be another one. But just to make it, to go to the uh, extreme situation the other way, for a regular child who was raised within a certain environment to say, I found religion, Islam, I don't care what it is, and I'm going to pray five times a day, and I think that God does this and God does that. If that's something that's not something that they're making up, that's coming from Star Wars, it's fine. That is not a reason to be concerned. You may wonder, why all of a sudden is she no longer happy with having you know, a swimming pool and one and a half kids and a dog and two cars? Okay, that's coming from somewhere. I don't know why she's not happy with it. But the fact that she's deciding to experiment with or to actually start believing in the religious system, which is not the system they grew up with, that is not at all correlated with any kind of mental disturbance, period. Okay. Well, I think let, let, let's just uh, allay another fear that I've heard about. Uh, many times parents and others will tell me that now there's the humor of the week. Now the uh, my, my kid has come home. Uh, and, and what happens is, is that they have to go back and, 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 and they don't know if they did the telosidium correctly. They have to go back. Um, they're, they're going to the bathroom much more often before they're willing to come to shul. 
and, and we know that these are halachas that we do have uh, in Shulchan Aruch. I, I do want to say parenthetically, there were people like Rav Hankin and others that felt that these halachas uh, are uh, a gateway to, um, uh, I guess, obsession. And he, and he, and he cautioned against over-obsessing about, especially these bathroom halachas. But even if it's not about the bathroom, it could be about chametz pepesach, it could be about shatnas, it could be about not drinking water from the the tap because of the copepods. So th- there is a, almost a sense that that e- even if you even if you're not necessarily an extremist in terms of of of, of what consider it's considered aberrant behavior, but even general frumkite and being machmir and being medactic and halacha in a way that that is unusual from where they came from, some people see that as 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 an aspect of uh, I'm not sure exactly what the psychological term for it would be, but they would see that as as OCD or something like that. Um, would you, how would you respond to that? Uh, okay, so again, you're insightful in trying to bridge the gap between what we've talked about generally by religious beliefs and about the nuances of extra care for religious practices. But let, let me let me just get into this for a moment. Um, nobody becomes obsessive compulsive. Nobody becomes basically an anxiety neurotic because of religious dictates. Nobody becomes obsessive compulsive or anxiety neurotic when they train at NASA, when there's all kinds of rules of what you can do, what you must do. If you are in the um, Army Corps and you're training for some kind of intensive physical experiences and there's loads of rules, nobody becomes obsessive compulsive from that. Somebody who is an anxiety neurotic somebody who is concerned about all kinds of fears irrationally, somebody who gets obsessed in ritual and detail to the point that it takes over their lives, will, if they are um, orthodox, observant, religious people, get a transfer of their neurosis and their obsessive compulsiveness about religious practice. But it doesn't work the other way around. There are not any higher percentages among religiously ritual observant folks who have obsessions, more obsessions than general populations, more compulsions than general populations, or are anxious about what they do or they don't do. That's not the case. But someone who is anxious in general about matters that they do, whether it be health or the environment or certain things that they must forget or they must remember, when they get involved in another set of behaviors, will transfer it that way. But that's a, a misconception that religious practices lend themselves to the um, creation of obsessions or compulsions. It's not correct. But as I said, if you are an anxiety neurotic, if you too, t- do tend to become anxious about details, you're going to get anxious about this as well. Why not? The more the merrier. Can we maybe even say, Dr. Trudian, I think what you're saying is heartening to many uh, religious people because we know that there's an assault, and I think it occurs in the in the secular Israeli press and in general that the Haredim are not only parasitic, but they are something mentally wrong with them. That they are suffering from delusions. Uh, that they represent a, a radical fringe. It's lunacy. I, I think that what you're saying, and 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 I know what your frumkite is. I believe that, and you're not a brother with them. And yet you are really giving us a message that this is normal. This is proper. This is, you might not disagree with it, but don't start labeling uh, any psychological illnesses here in, in this way. And I think this is a very strong 
important point for people to know yes. and to hear. And just, just in other words, I feel that many of my colleagues who do this kind of labeling come from another agenda, which is not psychiatry. Their agenda is that they also see themselves as arbiters of what the correct way of behavior is from a social perspective, from a moral perspective, and they tend to then give you uh, pronouncements coming from wearing that other hat, which they can do if they want to, but not as a mental health professional. They can do it as a theologian or as a free thinker or as a secular humanist, but it's not part of psychiatry at all. Um, would you so, say? Unless you accuse me, I would say the same thing, by the way, about people who join a religious cult that I, in, in Africa, or, or, or I, I mean, I know a number of Muslims, I know Mormons well, and uh, I know various religions which I am not excited about from a theological or philosophical point of view, but people who observe the minutia of it are not mentally disturbed as a function of that. They may be mentally disturbed, and I know quite a few people who have no religious ritual who are quite disturbed as well, and I know people who are totally atheistic who carry on about all kinds of rituals, but I can tell you that by the same token, um, there is within the Haredi community a tendency to try to um, get the Rebbe to absolve people of various kinds of compulsions and, and rituals as a way of curing their neurosis. I know like uh, there are people who Gone to Chaim Kanevsky, and he has said, "No, you don't wipe yourself after the bathroom more than two times. You cannot sit in the bathroom more than ten minutes, etc., etc." Now, that will definitely, uh, for people who believe in, in Das Torah, will definitely get them not to sit in the bathroom, not to wipe themselves, but they will easily just transfer it to other kinds of rituals, religious or neurotic in nature. They may start checking the locks more. They may start checking the gas stove more. They may have to make sure to tell you thank you six times in case you've not heard them. They may have to say whatever it is to check the light four times before they cross. That is not the reason why they're having trouble. And yes, it's commendable at least to get them unhooked of some neuroses that may be getting in their way in particular. But trust me, they will find others. Let's talk on the other side, which is let's say someone who doesn't have any neuroses and he discovers the minutia of religious life. I think what you said before was that it it's similar to being a, an astronaut at NASA, being a Green Beret, <laughs> sorry for dating myself, and knowing what the protocol was and, and, and making sure that you, you, you know exactly what has to be done. And it might be a complete laundry list of a lot of things. What I'm or wondering, becoming a psychiatrist or going to medical school. Yeah, I agree. Or, sure. So maybe, tell me if you meet me on this. If a person comes from a, a situation where the type of life they had was a little bit looser and there weren't all these details, this also might be healthy for them because we need more discipline. I think one thing that COVID-19 has indicated uh, in terms of its demands on society, is that there are certain rules that you need to be here from, whether it's six or eight feet apart, whether it's the mask. I think if we are used to rules in a way and we adhere to them and we're careful about them, even to the point, oh, is, is, is it a Kazayas or not a Kazayas, then it might actually be good for our self-discipline. Uh, the same way you're going to take somebody, and Israel is like this all the time. They r- routinely hire people for positions in in, 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 this, in the business world who have been in the military, who have followed orders, who understand how to put stuff in order, maybe joining these from worlds, 
<laughs> is actually healthy, forget about their schar and haba. They are now more disciplined in their lives. They're able to keep a diet better. <laughs> They're able to uh, to know when to show love, when not to show love. So it might actually be the opposite. Not only is is becoming this this high on Sinai flip out experience not a sign of some sort of psychological illness, it might actually strengthen them and and gird them for being a more put together person. Would you would you go that far with me on this? Not at all. And I, I want to make a certain wall clear here. You can say that living a certain style of life is more commendable in terms of your values, in terms of your social contract. But when you start saying healthy and not healthy, I, I put a stop to that. In other words, I don't think that people who are have religious beliefs or strong uh, moral commitments feel healthier or are less prone to, um, to psychotic breakdowns or neurotic breakdowns. I think you can talk about positive values or meanings of life, uh, doing something with your life that's uh, more productive. Those are values, but they're not psychiatric values. Psychiatric is basically a negative value saying you don't want to do X or Y or Z, but not what you should be doing with your life and that you should be committed to doing things and doing uh, extracurricular volunteer hours. So please don't use the term healthy. You can say meaningful. You can say more connected to God, more connected to your inner self, fulfilling your potential, all those existential terms are fine, even though I don't usually use those words. I'm too busy diagnosing people. But don't call them healthier. Okay, please. all right. Well, you know, I, I think your Talmudic uh, roots are, are showing here. Uh, and you'll be mochumi that I use the word healthy. What I meant was, if someone is more organized, and, and, and you need to be organized and have your act together more to join the from world, that's going to, you're going to have to gird your mental capacities in a stronger way, to parcel your time better, to recognize things. Whereas, you know, if everything is given to you on a platter and you're just enjoying your life in some suburb of New Jersey and, and just everything is, is, is cool, you aren't as, like we say, you're not a Navy SEAL. You don't have everything. Okay, I, I want to beat a dead horse just a bit. I know quite a few people who were raised in Scarsdale and did not have much pressure put on them and they are very healthy human beings and they organize themselves and they're involved in all kinds of pro-social missions without any religious ritual that was involved in shaping them or training them and without going to ROTC and without joining some kind of um, extreme athletic club. So does it help? I'm not sure. Maybe it does, but you don't need it. You can be very well adjusted, well-functioning, without having religious rituals. No, yeah, yeah, well, you missed my point. Even Let's take that Scarsdale guy. But let's say, Dr. J, if that person, when he wakes up, he has, okay, I do 10 minutes of exercise here, and then I go in for breakfast, I spend some time with my wife, I talk with her, and then I do writing, and then I go out and I, and I, and I spend a little time in the park, and he has his whole day worked out, and he realizes, and, and, and he's got his Fitbit going, how many minutes he's doing this and that, that is very similar to the idea, well, I've got chakras at this point. I've got to check the lettuce now. I've got to make sure that, uh, and then we've got this coming up. It is, you, you can definitely say it's quite similar. And maybe both of them are put together, organized people. And, and, and that- I wish you would add to that. I wish you would add to that also certain kinds of um, pro-social and moral um, <laughs> motifs that the person has that are not religious and based. They, they're involved in helping people. They're involved right? in being- green and recycling, that's fine. But I'm saying 
it's not less healthy to be involved. I'm not saying you have to be anti. If you're antisocial, you have another psychiatric problem. But I'm saying you don't need religion. You don't need religious rituals in order to make you healthier in any extent at all. It might be making you a better person existentially if you have a certain underpinning of religious beliefs of what the world is all about. But objectively speaking, in terms of mental health, same story. Okay, let's call the horse dead. Yes, I agree. And I think we, again, I, I think our, our level of disagreement here is not that is not that wide. Maybe the size of that dead horse. So, Dr. <laughs> J, I think we've, we've started to bite off a, a huge topic here. And I think uh, you've revealed in a way, once again, that you sort of float in an area that is maybe standing in both worlds and also in between many worlds. So that's it for this week, my friends. I'm Avram Kivilevich. Thank you, Dr. Juni. And we hope to be able to connect with you again next week on something also just as exhilarating and exciting as today. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 